Well, welcome to Genesis. We are glad you guys are here tonight. Uh, we are in night two of Love and Glory, the series, and uh, I am glad you guys joined us tonight, and we're going to have some fun tonight. So I'm glad you guys are here, and uh, like I said, this is week two, and so if you missed last week, uh, it, was a, it was a great night. Uh, we started this series and out of a, uh, a book that I have written of the same title, Love and Glory, which is coming out next Wednesday. Uh, that's March 21st, so get excited for that. Uh, if you did miss last week, we uh, did have a great night. We discussed three of the wrong places that we look to to find purpose. And those places were culture, social media, and personal brand. And we talked about the story of the prodigal son, uh, which is found in Luke 15. And we talked about how often the things of the world can blind us and, and how uh, a lot of the times when, we, when our eyes get open in the pig pens of our life, we, we can find that we can return home to our father who's going to welcome us with open arms. And so that's what we talked about last week. And so I'm, uh, I'm excited to, to keep things moving tonight. And so with that said, I am a, a big fan of music, and uh, a great part of music is something known as a one-hit wonder, and I'm sure you guys are familiar with it. Basically, basically what this is, is uh, a, band will, or a band or an artist will come out with this, this hit song, this breakthrough single, and it gets really famous, and then all of a sudden, the, the popularity or the buzz around the song kind of fades out, and then they kind of just get forgotten about, right? They, they just kind of fade into oblivion, never to be heard from again. And so that's what a one-hit wonder is, right? And so you can usually tell a one-hit wonder when you don't know the name of the artist, or you don't know the name of the band, but then you hear their song and you're like, oh, that's who sings that, right? You guys have been there before. You know what I'm talking about. And so the careers of these artists become defined by one single stroke of genius, and I want to prove it to you. I want to play a little game tonight. And so if you want to, I, I, need, a, I, need, a, I need a volunteer that would want to come up here and play this game. I, I promise you it's nothing gross or nothing embarrassing, nothing uh, you know, out of the ordinary. It's just yes or no question. So is Mitch going to be my only volunteer? Mitch, you want to come up here? Okay, hold on. You want, okay, Mitch, you just got off today. Don't worry about it. Yeah, come on. Come on up. That's fine. All right. All right, everybody. Let's not make this awkward, okay? So, uh, so, uh, Libby, what's your name? Libby. All right, perfect. Yeah, I know, I know, I noticed. Okay, so this is how this is, this is how it's going to work. Okay, so I have a a list on this note card of one hit wonders, one from every decade since the seventies. Okay, do you feel like you know music? No. No. Okay. <laughs> All right, so here's the deal. So you guys, uh, you guys can uh, kind of play along, but don't shout out the answer, okay? So if you've heard of this person, don't, don't say anything. Don't, don't spoil the surprise, okay? So here's what we're going to do, all right? Libby, I'm going to tell you the name of an artist or a band, okay? And you're just going to tell me yes or no whether you have heard of them before, okay? Can you do that? And then depending, or regardless of your answer, we're going to play a little snippet of the song that they're famous for. And so you'll be like, oh, yeah, I know them, right? Okay. And, uh, and so as we get closer to now, closer to the mo- more recent times, you guys will probably know these a little bit better. So the first one is from the 1970s, and the name of the artist is Carl Douglas. Have you heard of Carl Douglas? No. No, no you haven't. Can we play the snippet of Carl Douglas's famous song? Everybody was kung fu fighting. That's a lie. You know this song. Okay, and if you don't, they totally knew it. Okay, so, all right, here we go. Number two, this is from the 80s. The name of the band is Modern English. Have you heard of them? No. No, okay, all right, well, 
Play, play the song that they're famous for. Ah, okay, cool. All right. Perfect. All right, here's the one from the 90s. Okay, we're getting closer. What year were you born? 1998. Okay, 1998. You might know this. All right, the band is the Cardigans. Yeah? Sounds, sounds familiar? All right. Play the song. You don't know this song? They totally knew it again. Okay. Maybe, it, never mind. I'm not going to say that. All right. All right. Now we're getting to the 2000s. Okay. Now, be careful on this one. All right. Don't spoil the surprise. You, you probably should know this one. I hope you know this one. The Baja Men. Something Jamaican. So, yes or no? No. No. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Perfect. All right. Here we go. We got two more. This is from the this is from the 2010s. Okay. So this the decade we are currently in. Okay. So the artist's name is Bauer. Bauer. Yes or no? No. No. Okay. Go for it. All right. Cool. All right, we have one last one. And uh, you're not familiar with the, uh, the famous internet trend? Okay, well, uh, we're going to follow in that same theme of internet trends. And this is what I think is like the best one-hit wonder of all time. Are you familiar with a guy named Rick Astley? Yes. Yes? All right, well, do you know what song I'm talking about? I know the name. Oh, recent. No, not recent. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Something love, something about love. What? <laughs> All right, play it. Go ahead and play it. Yes. All right, we all know that song, right? Perfect. All right, well, thank you. I appreciate it, Libby. You don't get a prize. You don't win anything. You actually got them all wrong, so you definitely didn't win anything. Uh, Everyone give Libby a round of applause. Thank you, Libby, for joining us. Awesome. So uh, what do all of those artists have in common? What do they all have in common? Well, you didn't know their name. You knew some of their names, but you didn't, uh, you didn't know their name, but you knew their work, right? So they're one hit wonders. And so what I want to talk about tonight is the truth that God is not a one hit wonder, that God is not a one hit wonder, that we may feel like that, uh, the, that he at times is, right? So he's not a one hit wonder, but at times we treat him as though he was. And so tonight, that's what we're going to talk about, that, that, uh, that we feel like he may have had his, his shining moment in creating us, right? Like he gave us life and that's awesome. But now we kind of feel like he's a little distant. Like maybe we don't feel like he's still actively involved in our life, that he had his one single stroke of genius, but now it feels like he's moved on and never to be heard from again. And a lot of times that's how we feel like God is in our life. And so in life, it's common to question why, we, we, uh, why certain things happen to us, right? Why prayers go unanswered or why uh, certain things happen to us or why we experience loss or experience failure or experience abuse. We've all had these, these experiences in our life that, that cause us to sometimes question the goodness of God or sometimes cause us to, to lose hope in the, in, the, in the plan that God has had, that he has for us or lose trust in the plan that God has for us. 
And so, but I'm here to tell you tonight that the God that we serve is not a one-hit wonder. That the stories of the Bible were not his one shining moment or his one single stroke of genius. So when he created mankind, he didn't then leave us alone. Then when he created you, he didn't then leave you alone either. And so he is still active today. He's still creating today and he's still writing hit songs. And so tonight I wanna show you how. And I want to begin by sharing with you a, a story from scripture. And it is probably one of my favorite stories, if not my favorite story altogether. And it's from the book of Genesis. And uh, I love this story because honestly, like it rivals the best Hollywood has to offer. Like this story is amazing. And so I'm excited to tell you the story tonight. We're not going to read it verbatim from scripture because it's really long, but I want to go ahead and just ha- tell you, buckle up. I'm just going to tell this story. And we're going to have fun with it. Okay. That sound good. All right, so, and it's also gonna do an excellent job of setting the foundation for tonight's message, and it is the story of Joseph. Okay, so the stage is set with Joseph being introduced as the favorite son of a man named Jacob. Okay, so Jacob was the dad, Joseph was the son, and Jacob showed his love for Joseph by giving him a coat of many colors. And so he gave him this coat of many colors, and what it did, that was basically a, a uh, exemption from manual labor. And so it excused him from all manual labor. And so because he was dad's favorite, because he was the teacher's pet, his brothers didn't like him. His brothers hated him for it. And so it's important to know for this story, and this will be a theme that runs throughout the whole thing. It's important to know that Joseph had a way with dreams. He had a way with dreams. And so one particular night, he has a a unique dream where while he's sleeping, he has this dream that him and his brothers are out working in the field and they are all binding sheaves of wheat. And then all of a sudden, the sheaves of wheat that belong to the brothers started bowing down to the sheaves of wheat that belong to Joseph. And so he has this dream and the next morning around the breakfast table where they're sitting around, they're, they're eating breakfast, they're having their morning talks, whatever they're doing, he decides to share his dream with the family. He's like, hey guys, Get this, okay? So I had this dream last night and uh, we were out in the fields. We're having a good time. We're out there working and we were binding sheaves of wheat. And then all of a sudden your wheat started bowing down to my wheat. Crazy, right? Needless to say, that didn't go over very well, right? They didn't like to hear that. And so to make matters worse, uh, we see that Joseph then has another dream. He has another dream. And this time it's not sheaves of wheat bowing down to him, but it's the moon and the stars bowing down to him classic Joseph, he decides to share this dream as well. And so at this point, the brothers had had enough and they were ready to put an end to the dreaming. They were not happy with Joseph. And so later on, we see that the brothers are out shepherding the fields. They're out doing what they do. And Joseph is at home. Remember, he's got that coat of many colors, that whole deal where he's exempt from manual labor. So he's at home. He's at home watching Netflix or playing PlayStation or whatever they do, whatever they did back then, right? So he's at home and Jacob, the dad, he approaches Joseph and he's like, hey, Joseph, here's the deal. Why don't you, why don't you pause your show for a little bit? Why don't you put down the controller? Why don't you go check on your brothers because they're out there in the field, go make sure they're doing okay. So he's like, okay, fine, dad. So I'll go out there. So off goes Joseph into the fields and the brothers see him approaching and actually says in scripture that they say, here comes the dreamer. I assure you that was probably fairly sarcastic, right? So like, here comes the dreamer, right? So, and they chat quickly about what they're gonna do to Joseph when he gets there. And they decide that they're going to kill him. They decide they're gonna kill him. And then 
thankfully, another brother gets involved and he's like, ah, that's probably not a great idea. We probably shouldn't kill him. So instead, they take his coat of many colors, they take it from him and they toss him into a pit. They toss him into a pit. And then after all of that, they take a break for lunch because apparently plotting murder, throwing your brother in a pit works up quite the appetite. So Joseph's in a pit and uh, as they're eating, as they're eating lunch, an Egyptian caravan passes by and they decide, oh, you know what's probably gonna be a good idea? Why don't we sell Joseph into slavery? So they decide to sell Joseph into slavery to get rid of him. And they take his coat, his coat of many colors, and they dip it into goat's blood. And then they give it to the dad. They give it to Jacob and they're like, your boy is dead. He has been killed. And so they stage his murder, right? And so meanwhile, Joseph is still alive and he's on his way to Egypt. And then when he, when he arrives to Egypt, he, uh, he is sold to a man named Potiphar, who was a high-end official in Pharaoh's guard. He was a big deal in Egypt. So he sold to Potiphar. And because of the Lord's favor, after a while, Potiphar starts to notice that Joseph was really good at his job. And so he puts Joseph in charge of the entire estate, of his entire house. And so Joseph was really making the best of his tough situation, right? So he, he kind of was dealt a bad hand and now he's making the best of it, right? So it's important also to add that Joseph was a, was a handsome man. And scripture actually says that he was handsome in form and appearance. You can take that how you want it. He was a hunk. He was a tall glass of water. Okay, so whatever the kids call it these days. So good looking guy, right? And so because of this, he caught the, the lustful eye of Potiphar's wife. And so because of that, she repeatedly tried to sleep with him and he repeatedly denied her, okay? And so uh, until one particular time where she wants to uh, sleep with him and he denies and he actually tries to run away from the situation and she grabs his robe, rips his robe off and he runs out of the house naked. And so because of all the commotion, people come running, right? They're like, hey, what's going on? What happened? What's going on? Why, why are people yelling? Why is somebody naked? We're, you know, what's going on? And he's like, and the, the wife is like, he tried to rape me. That was what she said. He tried to rape me. Obviously we knew that wasn't true, but they didn't know. And so they believed her lie and found Joseph and they threw him into jail. And so Joseph was put in the, put in the pit and that led him to the prison. Now, while Joseph was in prison for a crime that he didn't commit, uh, Joseph made use of his time. And so uh, the scripture says that the Lord was with Joseph and he granted him favor. And uh, this led to him impressing the prison keeper. And so very similar to what happened in Potiphar's house is now happening in the prison. So he impresses the prison keeper and he's put in charge of all the other prisoners. So again, he's making the best of his situation. Now, during the time in prison, Joseph makes two friends. He makes two friends, uh, a uh, former cupbearer and a former baker. So that used to work for Pharaoh. So former, uh, Pharaoh's former chief baker and Pharaoh's former cupbearer. Okay, so he makes these two friends. And uh, now if you remember, Joseph, he had a way with dreams, dreams, right? So we remember that. He had a way with dreams. And uh, it just so happens that as the story progresses, one night, his friends have dreams and not just dreams, but dreams that they can't figure out the meaning to. And so they wake up from their dream 
And he, and they, they're, they're trying to figure out what the dreams mean. And so they asked Joseph for help. And so Joseph offers his assistance and he listens to the dreams and he gives his interpretations. And he's like, this is what's going to happen. He said to the cupbearer, he's like, listen, in three days, you're going to be released from prison and you will be restored to your position in Pharaoh's house. And so when that happens, when you get released and restored, I want you to remember me so that hopefully I can get released too. Now, on the other hand, the baker, unfortunately for you, in three days, Pharaoh is going to hang you. So we have one guy who's gonna get released and restored back to his position. The other guy is gonna die. Okay, so fast forward three days and it all comes true. The baker uh, is hung and the cupbearer is released and restored to his position. Unfortunately, the cupbearer did not hold up his end of the deal. He didn't remember Joseph. And so Joseph would stay in prison for two more years. And after those years of, of confusion and frustration for Joseph, I'm sure they were confusing, I'm sure they were frustrating, something happens that brings this story full circle. One night, while Pharaoh is sleeping, he has a dream. And not just a dream, but a dream he could not figure out. And so the next morning, he exhausts all his efforts to figure out what this dream means. He asks his magicians. They couldn't help him. He asks his wise men. They couldn't help him. And in this moment, bing, light bulb goes off in the head of the cupbearer. And he's like, oh, wait, I think I know a guy. I think I know somebody. He, you know, he was in prison with me, and he interpreted this dream, and he was right. And so he, he's pretty good with this kind of stuff. And so Pharaoh's like, okay, well, let's go get him, right? So they go get Joseph, and Joseph is cleaned up, and he's presented to the most powerful man in the world. And Pharaoh shares his dream. And Joseph listens to the dream and then he gives his interpretation. And this is what he says. He says, your dream means that you're gonna have seven years of plenty and you're gonna have seven years of famine. And so I would advise you to store up food in the years of plenty so that you can survive in the years of famine. And it's in this moment where Pharaoh starts to see exactly what Jacob, Potiphar, and the prison keeper all saw in Joseph. And it was the spirit of God. So Pharaoh is so impressed that he decides to give Joseph all authority in the country, that he puts him second in charge, only behind Pharaoh himself. He's given the signet ring of authority, fine clothes, a gold chain, and a wife. The pit led Joseph to the prison, which led him to the palace. Now, during the, years of, during the years of famine, Egypt was the only country with food thanks to Joseph's interpretation of the dream. And due to this, people were coming from all over to Egypt to buy food from them. And it just so happened that Jacob, the dad, and the family back home heard about the stockpile in Egypt. And so, Jacob commanded his sons to make a trip to Egypt to buy some food for the family. Now, Joseph was the governor of the land. Therefore, he was the one who made the sales. You can feel the suspense rising. The brothers arrive in Egypt and present themselves to Joseph, only they don't know that it is in fact their brother because he is dressed in the common Egyptian attire. He's got the, the, the makeup on and the headdress on. And so they're, they're literally, they're presenting themselves to their brother who they sold into slavery, who they thought probably was dead, but yet he was actually alive. They had no idea. 
And so the dreams that, that he had had of, 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 of sheaves of wheat and of moon and stars, when they bowed down to them, all these memories started flooding back into his mind. Like at these dreams that I've had so many years ago, they're finally starting to come true right before my eyes. I'm seeing my brothers bow down. I'm seeing the sheaves of wheat. I'm seeing, seeing the moon and the stars. I'm seeing this happen right before my eyes. And so he toys with them for a while and he gives them food and he lets them leave. And then eventually that food runs out. And so Jacob sends them back to Egypt to buy some more food. And then at this point, after a period of testing them, sending them back and forth, Joseph couldn't take it any longer. And he reveals his identity, wipes off the makeup, takes off the headdress. And I'm sure at this point, his brother's jaws hit the floor. The brother we sold into slavery, the one we tried to get rid of, not only is he not in slavery anymore, but he's in charge of the entire country. Now we're coming to him to beg for food. Joseph actually graciously tells him that he's not mad. He's like, I'm not mad that you did this. He said, I'm actually, I understand now why it had to happen. He's like, God sent me here so that I could become a man of power so that I could provide for my family and keep them alive during the famine. Little did he know what keeping that family alive would mean. Thousands of years later, out of the line of Jacob's family would come Jesus Christ, the savior of the world. The pit led Joseph to the prison, which led him to the palace, which led him to the payoff. And at the end of the story of Joseph, we see this verse in Genesis 50, 20, and it's gonna be on the screen. This is what he says to his brothers. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So the evil that the brothers meant against Joseph, the evil that they meant, God took that and he turned it into something used for the salvation of many. And that's a powerful truth for you tonight. That God can take what was meant for evil and turn it around and use it for the good. And that verse that we just read, that's the Old Testament version of a verse that we hear a lot from Romans. And it says this, this will be on the screen as well, Romans 8, 28. And uh, like I said, this is a pretty, pretty cliche verse if I can get there in my Bible. Here we go, Romans 8, 28, this is what it says. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose, right? So we had the Genesis 50, 20 verse. God, work, God takes what was meant for evil, uses it, uses it for good. And now we see in this verse, he uses all things for good. Now, it's easy to think in the midst of your life struggles, in the midst of the, the issues that you walk through, the, the pits and the prisons of your life, it's easy to wonder why God lets it happen. Have you ever wondered that before? Why does God let this happen? And now that we read, okay, he uses it for good. He uses it for good. Now you kind of, the question brings itself up that, okay, if God is gonna use this for good, if God is gonna use what I'm walking through, if he's gonna use my pit and my prison, if he's gonna use this for good, then does that mean he causes it? Did God throw Joseph in that pit? Does he cause what we walk through? And those are legitimate concerns. Those are legitimate things to think about. And we've all been there wondering why we face things, why we walk through certain trouble and tragedy and turmoil in our life. And so to be clear tonight, God does not cause anything related to tragedy, pain, abuse, or loss. That the pain you may be enduring could be a result of your personal decisions, but God did not send harm your way. 
And this is why we see that bad things often happen, happen to good people. We are all equally sinful. Thus, we are in an equally broken world. Thus, we are all equally susceptible to tragedy and bad things happening. We live in a broken world. And so just because, uh, just because it happens doesn't mean God sent it our way. He does not cause pain, but he does use it. He does not cause pain, but he does use it. And I want you to think of it in this way. God using pain in our life is a lot like the use of solar power. It's a lot like the use of solar power. The solar power industry that is something that is growing like crazy. We see it all over the place. It's extremely valuable to our world. And it's growing because scientists have studied and made great strides to perfect solar power. They have, they have uh, spent money. They've worked. They've, they've lost sleep. They've made all these efforts to perfect solar power. But here's the thing. For all the progress they've made, all the money they've spent, all the hours they've worked, all the sleep they've lost, they still haven't figured one thing out how to make the sun shine. They haven't figured that out. They're never gonna crack the code on that one. It's just not gonna happen. And I've also found that nobody has figured this out either, how to have a pain-free life. How to have a pain-free life. And so just as no scientist can control the sun, I've never found a person who has lived a pain-free existence. You can't escape problems in life. Problems will come and there's nothing we can do about it. The sun's gonna shine. Life's gonna be hard sometimes, no doubt. Therefore, just as scientists do not cause the sun to shine, but they do use the sun's energy. God does not cause the pain to come, but I guarantee you he will use it when it does. God didn't throw Joseph in that pit or throw him in that prison, but he did use that pit and use that prison to get him to the palace and to the payoff. Now with that in mind, it also raises another question. What does God use our pain for? What does God use our pain for? Remember we read Romans 8, 28, right? That's a popular verse and it absolutely should be. It's an incredibly encouraging line of scripture. God works all things together for good. It's amazing. And that's, that for good reason, that's a popular verse. But the less popular follow-up verse to that is Romans 8, 29. And so I wanna read them together really quick. This is Romans 8, 28 through 8, 29. This is what it says. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So according to this verse, God uses everything in our lives for two reasons. He uses everything in our lives for the good of his purpose and to make us look more like Jesus. And yes, he even uses the pain. And I would argue that he uses pain more than anything else to make us look more like Jesus. Last year around this time, some friends and I did a, a 10K physical endurance race uh, called the Bulldog Challenge. And it's not usually my type of thing. It's not usually something that I do. Uh, and in my opinion, it is 6.2 miles of controlled torture. And... We signed up for it and we trained really hard for this race because as soon as we signed up, we realized the problem at hand, we were terribly out of shape. I was terribly out of shape. I was the problem, okay? And while we were 
training and hoping to survive, there, there, was these, there was these workouts that we would do. And in the middle of them being really hard, in the middle of while we were out of breath and sweating and ready to be done and just over it, Austin, who is here tonight, he would just look at me and he just, he has a way about himself. He just looked at me and he was like, it ain't easy. It ain't easy. And that brought me so much weird comfort and strange comfort. And I know that sounds funny and it, it is funny, but it showed me that, man, I, maybe this is not just hard for, for just me. Like this is hard for him too. It ain't easy. Okay, I'm not struggling alone here. And so let's, let's read Romans 8, 829 one more time. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that, we, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Let me tell you something tonight. Conforming ain't easy. Conforming ain't easy. That when you start walking with Jesus, you start to look like, talk like, and act like Jesus. You model his behavior, his character, and his actions. And that is great to imagine. And that sounds great in theory. But man, it starts to lose and sound pretty hard once we realize that God often uses the vehicle of trials to get us there. Conforming is not easy. It is a struggle to be like Christ. You die to yourself. You pick up your cross. You crucify the flesh. That is not easy. And so through the pits and the prisons of our life, God creates within us new things that he creates and strengthens character and patience and trust and faith all in the process of becoming like Jesus. And it's in the pressure cooker of life that God births inside of us the likeness of Christ. Conforming is not easy. And God is often gonna use the shrapnel of events in our life to teach us things all with the motive of conforming us to the image of his son. And so, yes, all things work together for the good of those who love God, but also all things work together to conform you into the image of Christ. And this is where we see that God is not a one-hit wonder. This is where we see that he is still actively involved in our life, that he hasn't taken his hands off. This is where we still see that he's still creating. He's still writing hit songs. This is where we see that truth come to life. He's creating you into the image of Jesus. That he's using the pits and the prisons of your life as preparation for the palace that is the likeness of Christ. And the payoff is an eternity spent with him. And when we were separated from God, when there was nothing we could do to get to him, he sent his son to live a perfect life, die a death that we deserve to die, and then resurrect three days later to set us free from all unrighteousness, to set us free from sin. He became human in every aspect. He became like us so that we can now become like him. Now, when we are in the midst of confusion, when we are in the midst of shaky circumstances, when we are frustrated and we don't understand what's going on, we can still see how the hands of God are still active. He is still actively involved in your life and we can trust that he is working all for the good of those who love him. And that is a truth worth holding on to tonight. With all that said, I wanna help you see how this matters for your life. Because your life is always going to consist of three parts. The past, the present, and the future. And so tonight you may be having issues with one or more of those parts. 
Maybe you've had a tough past. Maybe you've experienced things in your past that, that you don't like to think about or you don't like to talk about. Maybe you've, you've experienced things in your past that, that you've never told anybody. Maybe you have a frustrating present. Maybe you're so confused about the situation that you're in right now that you don't know what to do next. And maybe you have an unknown future. Maybe you don't know what that next step is. Maybe you're scared to death of, of what's next, of what's coming in the future. And so for those of you who tonight who are hung up on the things of the past, I wanna hit all three of these really quick. And for those of you who are hung up on the things of the past, I would encourage you to see it through this lens. Some of you have had experiences in your life that no one should ever have to go through. And simply knowing this truth isn't gonna make that hurt any less. But knowing that God is working it together for good can hopefully give you some understanding and hopefully help you see it a little clearer. That just as, just as God was with Joseph in the pit and in the prison, he was with you in your past. And he has the power to take what the enemy meant for evil and use it for the salvation of many. And so the scars of your past, he can heal and he is eager to do so tonight. For those who are intimidated by their circumstances in the present, I would encourage you to also see it through this lens. The situations we find ourselves in are often confusing and frustrating and complicated. And so because of this, we can often wonder where God is in our life. Sometimes we don't understand where God is and how he's working. And I would encourage you to trust that God is operating even when you can't see it. The palace may be closer than you think. The last, the last part is the future. So for those who are scared of the uncertain future, I would also encourage you to see it through this lens. The fear of the future is something that can be crippling. But here's the truth for you tonight. What is unknown to you is known to God. That if you can trust God with your eternity, you can trust him with your tomorrow. And we can hold to the fact that he has the ability to take whatever comes your way and use it for the good. And he is in control always, even when it's hard to see. I'm gonna invite the, the band to come back up. Tonight, if I'm sure you find yourself in one or more of those places. Maybe you've endured a, a tough past or you're currently confused about where you're at in life in the present or you're terrified of what's gonna come in the future. Whatever it is that's weighing you down tonight, I encourage you to give it over to God. I encourage you to hand it over because he's not a one-hit wonder. He didn't have his one shining moment, his one single stroke of genius. He's still working. He's still creating, and he's still involved in your life. And he is gonna use the pits and the prisons of your life to bring you to the palace and to the payoff. And he's using it all to make you into the image of Christ. We're gonna move into a response time. So tonight, Whatever that looks like for you, I would encourage you to process whatever it is that you may be struggling with, whatever it is that you need to face tonight, whether that be something from your past, something in your present, or something of your future. And tonight, I know that God wants to do a work in you. You're not here by accident. And so those, those of you tonight who are in those pits and in those prisons, I would encourage you to look up, look to God and know that he is working in your life. He has a plan for you and he's holding it all together and he's working it all together for the good.
So as we respond, I would encourage you to do whatever it is you need to do. So whether that be praying to yourself, grabbing a friend and praying, whether that be standing and worshiping, whatever that looks like for you, make that happen. Don't miss tonight. Don't miss the opportunity you have tonight to talk to God, give him over what needs to be given over to him. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for the amazing opportunity and privilege that it is to stand here, preach your word, hear from your word and receive your word. And God, we know that you sent your son to die for us when we didn't deserve an ounce of it. But God, you did it anyway. And now that that you became like us in every way, we can now become like you in every way. And sometimes that process is not fun. Sometimes that process is not easy. And so tonight, God, I pray that for all of us that are in that process right now, I pray, God, that we would look to you to be our source, to be our source of comfort, to be our source of peace, to know that you are working it all together for the good of those who love you and all things to make us into the image of Christ. And God, that's a truth worth holding on to. So God, I pray that we would do that tonight. And everybody that's in a certain situation, a certain uh, life stage, God, wherever they may be at this current moment, God, you know every single detail of that. So God, I pray tonight that you would meet them where they are at and that we would have an experience with you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.